Welcome to the season one finale of This Spiritual Fix, episode 21. Today we're going to be talking about how do we help those around us who we see with the wounds and how do we develop compassion. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Anna. Hey, so this is it. This is the season finale of season, our first season of this spiritual fix podcast. We did it. We made it to 20 episodes. This is the 21st. Yep. 21st episode. It's been a whirlwind, hasn't it? We've had so much learning we've, about ourselves and about each other. <laughs> we've learned a lot. I think our friendship has been put through the ringer, but in a good way. I think I yeah. think we did a lot of great conflict resolution. I think so too. I think we're both really raw, honest people. So when things bothered us in each other, we were not shy to let the other one know, but we were also both willing to work it out. Yeah. And I yeah. think we're closer now. I feel closer. No, I do too. And I, and I don't even think of it as like, it's funny. Cause I think in my head, whenever I'm like, if someone's been through the ringer, if someone's been whatever, it's like, it's only just been a tempering of our relationship to make it like stronger. And, and there is no, and, and there is no relationship with out conflict. Cause that's why we're on earth. <laughs> if, or if it's a real one, right? If it's one that you're actually like being honest and true to yourself and you're not just being fake, which I can sometimes be. Um, or you're just, you're in a teacher student relationship or it's something different where you can't necessarily show all your stuff. You're not just two peers working it out, trying to be creative together and having conflicting ideas sometimes. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think fittingly enough on this season finale, you can go back and listen to the previous seven episodes where we go into great detail and give each wound its own episode. Yep. But for today, we're just going to gloss over. We're going to do a really great overview so that if maybe you don't have the wound, you are able to help other people who you see have the wound without being like, you have this wound, go check out this episode, right? right? So for anyone who listened to the previous episodes, you might have been listening and been like, oh my gosh, that is totally my dad. My dad has a humiliation wound or my sister has a betrayal wound or my husband has an injustice wound or whatever. If you were listening to the previous episodes and you noticed the wounds in your family or friends, or children, loved ones, whoever, this episode is to how to basically, what kind of conflict to expect with these people, mm-hmm. how to prevent that kind of conflict, how to mitigate the conflict and how to resolve it. Because let's face it, relationships come with conflict. The wounds are a great way to break the conflict down, understand mm-hmm. them, and work with them. Exactly. All right. So should we start with abandonment wound? Yeah, your favorite. My favorite. Well, <laughs> so Chris, why don't you start and give us a little overview of the abandonment wound? 
Absolutely. So the abandonment wound is obviously something that gets formed when you feel like you have been left. Um, It's often a a result of neglect. uh, And it is one that what we say sits in the second chakra, which is all about addiction and um, sexual reproduction and all these different things. But the mask of abandonment in particular is codependence. And for those of you who don't know what codependence was, because it's a psychological term and you may not be aware, codependence is all about how you are depending on other people to save you. And you are also making yourself indispensable so that people do not leave you. Right. So the kind of conflict you could expect to see with someone with, uh, if you have a loved one with a abandonment wound is they're going to overperform overact and then also get exhausted. So they and, also, and blame you for and, not saving them and blame you for not saving them. <laughs> they're not, they're horrible at verbalizing their needs. They'll complain when they're exhausted, but they won't like be very direct and be like, I need you to do this. Or would you do this? Yep. They will do everything for you and then hope you're going to just read their mind and do it. Yep. So you may feel really guilty around this person. I, I have a good example of, um, uh, if you've ever been to a retreat, this is a very specific, if you've ever been to, if you've ever been to a retreat and everyone's supposed to be having relaxation time and there's that one person who wants to go clean the kitchen and then everybody has to start cleaning the kitchen because you're, maybe you're all women and you're all like, or you're all people like, basically it's, it's like, I've seen it happen a number of times and this has actually happened with you, Anna, where everyone's supposed to be chilling and one person's like, no, I'm going to go clean up. I'm going to go take care of it. I'm going to go take care of everyone and take care of it because I just feel like doing it. And then everyone else either has to feel guilty so they can't actually relax or they have to go help. So you basically kind of get rid of those sanction times that are supposed to be of something or another. That could be an experience of feeling that that's a very specific one. That's specific, but it's a good analogy. Yeah. Um, I I think some ways to prevent conflict with abandonment wound is extremely clear communication because the thing about an abandonment wound is silence to them. They will infer the worst. So Mm. if you go MIA crickets, you just kind of ghost ghost them. Mm -hmm. Let's say you got some big project at work or you're not able to respond to their texts. They're going to assume the worst. They're going to assume either their friendship or relationship is over. Mm -hmm. You, you broke up with them you forgot them, you don't care about them. Or you died. Or you died. So, <laughs> Or you're in the hospital, you've gotten in a car accident. Yeah, like, they're going to yeah. assume the worst. So the best thing to do is if you need to take a breather from these very, very intense people, communicate it with them. Be like, hey, I got a big project at work. I might not be texting you as often for the next seven days or, you know, yep. I'm, I, I got a big deadline this week. I probably won't be able to hang out with you, but just know... This is where it's important to communicate clearly. Just know I'm thinking of you and I can't wait to see you again. Yep. If you if you use those two two lines, can't wait to see you again, I'll be thinking of you, you're good. Like yeah. that they just need to know, <laughs> they just need to know they're not forgotten yep. and abandoned. And you should be pretty good with with just that. Yeah. <laughs> and and knowing when to what to expect too. This is this kind of bleeds into betrayal a little bit, but definitely like knowing um that that very line does everything. It's like they know what to expect and they know when to see you then when they will see you again because you are directly addressing the fact that with abandonment people left and never came back and you, they never told you when to expect to see them again. Right. Uh, if you are emotionally involved with someone with a uh, an abandonment wound, just know that they're terrible at making boundaries. Yes. So you might be like, why did you 
volunteer for all those things? Why are you wearing yourself out? We were supposed to do this this weekend and, and they've committed overcommitted or, you know, they just can't say no. They're bad at boundaries. Just know that that might happen. It's nothing personal. It doesn't mean you're any less important to them. They just are bad at saying no. Yeah. And also what that means is that if you start complaining about something, that they may infer that they then need to rescue you oh, yeah. because that's what they would want done to them. So sometimes you have to be like, I'm just complaining and I don't expect you to do anything oh, as yeah. a result of if it. If you complain. <laughs> don't solve anything. Speaking speaking from this very, as an abandonment wound person, I can say, I only complain when I need help because I don't know how to ask for help. If you ever hear me complain, that is my like SOS. And similarly, if I hear someone complaining, I will do, I will rescue them. I will try to do whatever is in my power to help them when really they were just venting. Yeah. So don't complain around an abandonment wound person unless <sighs> you want, or just be clear. Just be clear. It's just, just like, all about hey, being clear. This is like, a vent. You're allowed I don't need to you vent. to save me. I just need to tell you yeah. that uh, I'm pissed yeah. about X, And y, if you've forgotten to be clear, then just clarify and be like, Hey, I don't need you to fix anything. It's okay. Perfect. Yes. Um, Another thing to know about the abandonment wound is they are probably the most forgiving. They are the doormats of the universe. Just kidding. (laughs) But they are quite, they love to forgive, which is a beautiful quality that that they're easy to forgive. It can also be one of their worst traits is that they can, mm, they can pretty much, their partner can kind of get away with murder. Like literally the the partners of people, um, prisoner wives is like the quintessential abandonment wound. But that being said, yes, you probably can get someone with an abandonment wound to forgive you for anything. Try not to exploit that. And just know that like a sincere apology and a promise that you are not going to abandon them will resolve pretty much any conflict. Yep. Yep. Anything else you want to throw in there for like what it's like to live with, befriend or parent or whatever with a, an abandonment wound person? Uh, no, I think, I think that's a good cover. I think it really is. I think it's just a matter of, and a lot of these, you'll find a resounding thing of being trustworthy. And, um, that's particularly with, with some versus others, but I think it definitely applies to the abandonment one is, is to fulfill your, at least promise some, actually let's cut that all out. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. I'll, I think I'll add one thing, which is just to say that an abandonment wound, as long as you exist, make them know that you exist in their world, they can roll with anything. Like my example is like, I know someone, for example, I know two people who have a lot of injustice. They can't stand when their spouse yells at them. They like take it as a great assault. And I'm like, abandonment people are actually okay with being yelled at or, or people showing anger towards them because you still exist in their world. Yeah. Being shut out is the worst being ignored, shut out, silent treatment, just missing like crickets, that's the worst. Like we can take anything if we still are in your world. All right, moving right along to mm-hmm. rejection wound. You want to give a summary? Yeah, I'll give the summary of the rejection wound. The rejection wound uh, usually happens very young um, to a lot of people when they may have first experienced this and it is a form of being rejected either in whole or in part of yourself as a person. Uh, it is something that is rather active in the sense of it's not, it's like, whereas abandonment can just be a form of neglect. Rejection is an active form of, of rejecting the personhood of another, basically rejecting the existence or 
or individuality or personality of another person um, or a child or something along those lines. And the mask is the fugitive and the fugitive has, is the person who is always trying to disappear. Escape artist. They are an escape artist. They are continually hiding their true selves or they're very um, surreptitious. Like they're very like, I'm just going to do my own thing and I'm never going to have to ask anybody about it. Or they don't show up. They don't commit. You, you invite them to things. They don't, they don't, they're not around. Right. And that's them. So some conflict that could arise with them is if you are, first of all, they're not going to bring up the conflict. You just got to know that right now. If there's a problem in the relationship, they probably won't talk about it. Like my, I had an ex-boyfriend and uh, he said that him and his ex-girlfriend never fought once in like five years that they were dating because she ran such high rejection that if, if there was a conflict, actually him too, I think they both just never addressed it. They just kind of went around it. Wow. Well, crazy to me. But anyways, they will avoid conflict. So if you're the one involved with an rejection of one person, just know that you're going to be the one probably having to bring it up. And this is the most important part about the rejection wound is when you're bringing up issues in the relationship, you have got to do all those like good listening skills and active listening. You have got to like with more, no more, like there was no other wound with which it's that important as important to practice those active listening. So I like like the sandwich compliment is the quintessential one. You give a compliment, you bring up the issue, and then you give another compliment, okay, the sandwich. But when you bring up the issue, you got to be really careful to never make it sound like an attack, like you're villainizing them, that you're demeaning them. You have to stick to facts and feelings like, like, this is what happened. This is what made me, this is how I feel. And you got to probably be like, and I know you're an awesome person and you never would want to make me feel like this, but this is what happened. Because if you come at it like you did this and you're an asshole and you're not, they're going to feel rejected. They're going to flee. They're going to escape the conversation. Yep. And that's, and that's really the, the bulk of it. And that's why the compliment at the end is so very important because if you, if, if you make sweeping statements about someone's personality, who's had the rejection wound, then they believe you. Like they will believe you. Like that's the thing. They'll believe you even if, even if it's the most absurd thing that you could ever imagine saying to someone, they will believe you. They will question themselves. And so don't make the sweep. I mean, God, don't ever make the sweeping statements in any argument, but let alone with a rejection person. And then that compliment at the end means I still love you, Mm -hmm. even though we're having this conflict. Like you are still worthy. You are still great. Even though we're having this, like just because you are, didn't get this right for me. And this is how I felt about it. Doesn't mean that you're not worthy of being seen and being a person. Right. I think, yeah, the sandwich compliments important and probably even the disclaimer, which we talked about in a previous episode is give a disclaimer, be like, Hey, I want to bring up an issue before we even talk about the issue at hand. I want you to know, I adore you. I love you. This doesn't change how amazing I think you are, but this, this, this came up in the relationship and I'd like to look at it because it made me feel X, Y, Z. I think disclaimers are good. Sandwich compliments are good. Just remember, no matter how handsome or beautiful or smart, intelligent, successful they are, if someone has a rejection wound, they are fragile. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else with that? I can't, I think this goes hand in hand with betrayal too. So just kind of ear earmark this for this later one. But I think with rejection in, in particular is there has to be room for making error. 
Right. You got to remind them that even if they're not perfect, they're, they're, they're worthy of being loved Yeah, because they might think, well, if, if something's wrong with me in any way, she's going to reject me. Yeah. And, and I, and I have a bit of a hybrid rejection betrayal wound as like kind of my primary between the two of them. And I can easily say that I've noticed this a lot recently, even since recording the episodes is that my room for error in my own life is very small. And so is my room for my kids error. Like, you know, like I, I rarely let them not feel ashamed or reject them or do something along those lines if they make a mistake. Well, you better not do that next time, right? Because I'm not going to get it for you next time or something like that. Um, and I think it's really important to recognize that you probably hold yourself up to a standard. Um, even if you're in a rejection place, you hold yourself up to a standard and you need to not hold other people up to that same standard and allow Allow yourself to make mistakes. Allow others to make mistakes. Nice. Moving right along to the injustice wound. Do you want to give a summary for that one again? Yeah. Injustice is all about the ability to say this is fair or this is unfair and becoming basically the judge of everything that is in your life. It's a result of basically feeling that you didn't get enough and somebody else got more. And, you know, again, it has, it goes back to, all of this goes back to worthiness, but it has a lot to do with feeling judged, um, and feeling judged unfairly. Um, perhaps you were one in numerous different siblings and you had a lot of different siblings and everyone got treated differently. Maybe you were the oldest person, uh, in your, um, sibling thing. And so you got different rules than the, than the youngest one, um, the injustice wound is something that uh, shows the mask of rigidity, right? So the uh, critic, what is it? The, the harsh critic. Uh, the harsh critic, thank you. Um, the harsh critic in that you are, as if you have, if you know somebody who's coming up with this injustice wound, they are often very harshly critical of you. They are often telling you what their opinion is as if it is the only opinion that is correct. They are often... Uh, basically not allowing, again, not really allowing any movement from what they believe to be um, correct and then possibly give, feeling, making you feel a lot of guilt if you don't go the direction that they do because they're trying to implicitly control you um, and they'll, they'll, to, go, to uh, fulfilling their opinion. Go ahead. They'll, they'll also almost never admit when they're wrong. Like, I'm sorry I was wrong. That's probably never going to come out of their mouth. If you're, if you're wanting an apology from a an injustice person for them to actually own up to their mistakes or say they were wrong. It's probably not going to happen. No. And they'll be like, I'm sorry I was wrong, but I'm sorry you, you felt did this. like that. Or, yeah, I'm sorry you felt like this or I'm sorry I did this wrong, but this is the reason I was yeah, right. There'll be a but in there. So just, just, uh, make peace or, or grieve the loss of a true apology with injustice people. You probably won't get it. Um, another one is I personally now this is, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I know I personally find people with the injustice wound to be very exhausting people to love because they will constantly try to make things fair. And they have this like impossible scale in their head that you don't even know what the parameters are. Like you don't know what the scale is and like what's fair, what's not fair, what's too much, what's too little. And so you might accidentally do too much or too little. And then suddenly you're wrong because you didn't do something according to their scale. And it's, it's kind of exhausting if they're trying to make things fair all the time. They also do a lot of revenge or they think a lot. I'm sorry. They also entertain feelings of revenge and jealousy because they're all about making things fair. They might get jealous of you. They might try to do this or that to even things out. And again, I, I find that a little exhausting, but uh, I'm sure 
sure. Um, it's exhausting if you have the womb too. It's exhausting <laughs> if you have the womb. It's kind of exhausting me the other end of it. I know personally that I have some very loved ones of mine who run the injustice wound, especially politically. They have very strong political beliefs and they think that if you don't share them, that you are automatically wrong and unworthy. And they're the kind of people like they, that you, they, if they find out you believe X, Y, and Z, they'll just block you on Facebook. Yeah. And it's, it's, I want to say about that is if someone is doing that to you or someone is treating you like that, or you love someone who has that very, very strong opinions, just remember that it's actually coming from a place of pain. They are vulnerable. They feel vulnerable. And the way of protecting themselves is to be harsh and critical of others and rigid. So I know it's a big, a big ask, but if someone is treating you like that, you got to just remember that it's actually coming from a place of pain and it's nothing personal. Yep. Because to them, their beliefs about the world are the bedrock of the foundation of their life. And if you question that, then they have to then question the bedrock foundation of their life. Right. Right. So I guess what I want to say is if, if you are romantically or platonically involved with someone with, with the injustice wound, they're probably going to be the most unfair people you know. It's your opportunity to show a lot of grace, a lot of compassion, a lot of patience because mm -hmm. it's going to be hard. I'll be honest. It's going to be hard. These people are also amazing. Like they are amazing. They are true to their beliefs. They are constantly trying to do the quote unquote right thing by their definition. I'm not saying like these are bad people. I'm just saying inter inter interrelationship uh, inter wise, they can be very difficult. Yeah. And just know that try to look past their wound because they're wonderful and just be grateful or gracious. I mean, I don't know. What, yeah, what gra would gracious. I would say, I would say the other thing that you can actively do, which is a little bit tricky is expand their worldview. So if their foundation is very limited to this person needs to be the president and this person needs to do this and that, um, expand their worldview so that they can't necessarily, so that they don't have to necessarily rest on the laurels of whatever they're thinking. So, um, you know, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard because it's things that, that are so obviously like have one very strong opinion versus another, and there's nothing that you can do to change that. But just like everything I say when it comes to injustice and bigotry and supremacy, is that um, the more exposure people have to the different and the more human they can, the more exposure that people have to something and the humanness in other people, it doesn't stand a chance. And just it, like, it, it just doesn't stand a chance. That's all I can say. Uh, yeah, I could say that the people with an injustice wound, they really see the world through the lens of black and white. Don't try to convince them so much that the world is gray, you know, like, you can be the role model and they may or may not get it. But if you have the agenda like this person, you know, I'm going to change them. Just, just they're harsh. They're critical. They're rigid. They're very fixed. They're very stuck. Yeah. Don't make that. I would say, I would say it's a losing battle. Just love them in spite of it all. Yeah. I think, I think what I mean is, is like, 
Sometimes with injustice wound people, injustice wound li- people like to be with people who have the same beliefs as them. It oh, makes yeah. them feel good. Oh yeah. And I'm trying to say, expand that out a little bit if you can. You're never going to change anybody else. It's up to everybody individually to change and address their own wounds and you cannot heal anybody else's wounds. And that applies for every single one of these. Um, but at the same time, recognize that some things exacerbate people's wounds. So with abandonment, exacerbating the wound is not telling people when you're going to show up again after you've been out for a while with rejection. It's, um, accidentally accusing them of being something when you were attacking the situation and not the person. Right. And justice is letting them silo themselves even further. Right. right. Like not letting them silos is a bad, but you see what I'm saying? Like basically siloing them and making it so that they're continually validating their injustice. Right. And then another, like a nice, um, practical thing you can do with people with injustice wounds is really verbalize appreciation for what they've done. Like they, they're all about making things fair. So be like, you know, acknowledge like, Hey, I noticed, I'm going to make this up, but like, I noticed that you cleaned the kitchen last night. Like note, like notice their efforts because it's all about what's fair. And sometimes just a compliment or a thank you is enough to balance that scale for them. Yeah. And if it's not, then come up with systems like I did early on in my marriage, which was, we all, we just started tallying what we did and, and it wasn't a competition against each other, but it just made it, we got rewarded for every, every little bit of housework that we did. We got rewarded just like kids do. And it made it so that the injustice, not only could you, you weren't competing with the other person, but you could see that both of you were putting in a massive amount of work and both of you deserve thanks for it. And so if you create those systems, reward systems, then there it's, it'll be beneficial because they'll feel as if, even if it's not fair, they're being rewarded. Right. But maybe ultimately come out of that because. Oh, eventually we had, we did come out of it, Yeah, but, no, but I'm but, saying it's a really good, it's a really good thing when someone is stuck in injustice. Like, okay. I was. When you're stuck. Yeah. That's a yeah. good place to be because, but eventually you don't want to be tallying everything your whole marriage or. No, no. Yeah. Well, it's not a tally against, it's just a tally in favor of me. Do you see, see what I'm saying? Like I know, but to me, it seems very, see, I see it as very unfair. Like, why should I have to put my energy into making a spreadsheet and tallying things? That to me is a big time suck. Well, it was, we made it really easy. We had a whiteboard and we literally just put a magnet every time. We I, I know, but I guess I'm saying if I was in a relationship where my spouse wanted me to do that, I would find it very unfair. Cause I'd be like, now I'm having to like, to chart everything. Interesting. Interesting. You didn't agree with it. I, I mean, mean, no, no. I, I'm just I saying it, it wouldn't work for me. Cause I would feel like, I would feel like the unfair that, okay. So my, my theory is that people with an injustice wound are very unfair. And so like someone wanting to tell me to tally everything I did is unfair. Cause it's, a, it would now take more of my time to show you what I'm doing. Another example would be like, I know these two siblings and they had a falling out with their parents inheritance. And one sibling is like, that's not fair. And the, and you know, and kind of mad at the other sibling for getting more. And ironically, that is so unfair that a wedge has grown between them over something completely out of the other sibling's power. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in the quest for things to be fair, they're actually being completely unfair because they're going a whole lifetime without bonding properly with their sibling out of this thing that they interpret as unfair. So I just, I just, I'm constantly seeing how unfair injustice is. Your injustice wound is being triggered being, by the thought of having to yeah, do something that would help other people's being, injustice wound. Yeah. Right. My injustice wound is being triggered <laughs> by what I perceive to be unjust, mm-hmm. in, which would be a, an injustice person's 
tally. Right. Right. But it would help other injustice people. Yeah, it might help yeah. them. Yeah. So anyway, it's all very complicated. Very Next complicated. one. Next uh, one. Betrayal. No, humiliation. Humiliation. So someone with a humiliation wound is governed by shame and guilt. Yep. And as I said in a TikTok, all pleasures are guilty pleasures when you're full of guilt. Mm-hmm. They are constantly in shame. They are very careful with who they reveal things to. Mm-hmm. They will self-mock and make jokes about themselves. Will you please give us a summary of the humiliation wound? Yeah, I'm absolutely. at a loss for words and I'm ashamed for it. Well, you did a wonderful job. You did a wonderful job of, of describing the actual wound itself, right? Which is, which is we, we say it sits in the, sh- in the base chakra and the first chakra and the root chakra. And it is a reflection of deep, deep, self-shame um it has a lot to do with like to the point of survival um there are a lot of cultures that use shame as the worst punishment that you can give someone um because it is that harsh and terrible to experience that that level of shame and the mask of shame is masochism which means exactly like anna was saying self-deprecation um trying to make yourself less than or worse than or punishing yourself for for experiencing pleasure. It's an inferiority complex in a way. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. And there might be shame around, guilt and shame around sex, guilt and shame around food. They might eat in private. They might binge eat. They might, I mean, bulimia and binge eating are great examples of uh, shame, shame wound. Yep. And, uh, one of the comments on TikTok I absolutely loved about the humiliation wound was if humiliation, if there was a Venn diagram of humiliation and religious, uh, the Venn diagram of people with the humiliation wound and people with religious trauma is a circle. Yep. I thought that's pretty funny. Yeah. And also sad and true in the sense that a lot of people, and we've talked with, um, Sophia Spolino in our sixth episode about this, about, how she had a lot of sexual shame. She had a lot of sexual shame. A lot of people do. I mean, I find that I've had sexual shame, even though I don't even have a traditional church background. Sometimes I feel like it comes from past lives. Like it's that the morphogenic field that we live in. Yeah. It's, it's so, so prevalent for people to feel shame for sexual performance, for people to feel shame for sexual, for, for love of sex in general, like whoever you are, that it's considered unacceptable to be able to express yourself sexually in the way, in the most healthy way that you possibly can. Man, woman, non-binary, like anybody you want to say, um, all different forms of sexuality are coming into the light and they have, a lot of them have a long way to go. Yeah. Well, common issues that might show up with uh, having a relationship with someone with a humiliation wound is sexual dysfunctions. That's, that's mm-hmm. if you're having a romantic relationship with someone, you know, pre-ejaculation or difficulty getting hard or the woman not being able to be aroused or have an orgasm. I mean, like humiliation can seep into the bedroom in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, so there's that. I would say, in that situation, consult like a Tantra teacher or a sex therapist, get some professional help. Yep. Yep. And recognize that, that everything that you can do to love and support your partner who may be going through this and recognize that there is absolutely nothing 
they're not less than human. They are not less than your partner. They don't love you any less. Right. It has nothing to do with how attractive you are or how much they love you. It's their own baggage. It's their own stuff and, and loving them despite all of that or saying the things that you need to say to make them feel better. I, I once dated a person who, you know, had accidentally had comments about his size when he was younger. He had always felt very self-conscious about that and uh, saying the absolute opposite of that just for the sake of healing and just for the sake of being like, hey, you're loved no matter what is like amazing. There's a, a Tantra teacher that I know and she talks about this whole process that both that people of any gender can go through where you're basically just worshiping every aspect of the other person's body and it's like a two or three hour experience of, um, w- I mean, we can get onto this um, We need next to do a season. Tantra episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it next season, but um, things in which you're making them feel beautiful and unashamed of whoever they are and whatever they are, both bodily, soul, spirit. Right. Uh, Another issue that could possibly come up if you are involved platonically or romantically with someone with a humiliation wound is you might make a joke at their expense and they might really take it hard. They might really infer shame from that. Yeah. Um, I would never reprimand them in front of anyone else. Oh no. Like, like, you know how they say it's emasculating to like make a joke about your man in front of your friends. Like that is no, that is so much more true with someone with a humiliation or shame wound. Like pull them aside. If you have an issue, never reprimand in public, never, make fun of them in public. Yep. It, that's, that's like the biggest taboo in some ways that you could do with someone with that wound. Yep. So my son is three years old. My son is three years old and I know he already has the humiliation wound, maybe possibly as his primary, but he's also still going through the experience of gaining his trauma. <laughs> he's also still going through things. But, but the reason I say that is because he'll say really adorable, cute things with his language and like, what did he say that it, we were talking about tornadoes and he was like, there's a tomato in the sky. And we all started laughing and he started crying because he felt shame from not us laughing at say. him, not with him because he wasn't, because whatever he said, you know, he wasn't able to take the joke. Yeah. And so, and he's done that a number of different times when we've like, he takes it as personal, like right. we're making fun of him. And so for me, I'm working with him because he's my son to basically say, you know, to constantly give him the, the affirmations in his life to let him know that like, he's perfect no matter what he says, no matter what his speech impediments may be at this point, no matter, you know, what he is, like he's so capable. And that's what I'm continually giving the affirmations of to try and negate what I can see is coming out as humiliation. Yeah. I think another thing to watch out for if you are involved in some way with someone with a shame wound, a humiliation wound, is um, that they might infer you putting them down when you're not. I could say that because I can see it in my own relationship that like my husband will give me 300 compliments and then he'll make one side comment kind of negative. And which one do I go crazy and obsess about? It's that one little thing. And, and I will like let myself be torn down yeah. by that one thing. And I have so much more good stuff, so much more good stuff I could put my energy into, but I will, I will obsess on the one thing that makes me feel like shit. And that's a shame wound. So yeah. and it's a, it's a form of relationship OCD in particular. And it's also, yeah, relationship now. OCD that I probably have too. But, but I want to say if you have someone with, if you are in a partnership with someone with a shame wound, 
be really careful when sandwiching you, doesn't even really work. That yes, well. <laughs> sandwiching will not even work. Like yeah. in some ways, in some ways, just don't say anything. Yeah. No, you got to bring it up. I don't. I mean, how would he bring it up? I mean, I think it has to be like extremely. Like for example, I'm gonna give you. Want to give an example? Mm-hmm. Like last night, like our dog has has regressed and she's not potty trained and so we we she had peed in the house and I had left paper towels over over where she peed with the intention that once the kids went to bed went upstairs I was gonna actually scrub the floors and 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 mop bleach and mop them so I had a, a reason why I had left paper towels all over the floor right okay so my husband comes down and under his breath, he, he sees the paper towels. He's like, what the, f-? I heard him say under his breath, what the fuck, Anna? Cause he's probably thinking like, why did she leave little, like little piles of paper towel all over the floors? Like it just, it's just not typical of me to do that. And he was like, what the fuck? And like, I played that what the fuck over and over in my head a hundred times. Mm-hmm. And, um, then when I mopped the floor, I'm like, Hey babe, look, I mopped the floor. 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 Like trying to erase whatever disappointment and shame he had seen in me, you know? Yep. And I think that as revealing as that might be, like, I think a lot of people with a shame wound probably experience what I did. Like yep. you focus and obsess on that one thing. And then you try to make it right. So I would just be super, super careful what you say around shame people. Yeah. And if you and and if you have it, recognize that asking to always see clarity in people's comments. People may make a you know a what the fuck comment or whatever, but well, I've done this too where I've been like, wait, what did you mean? What do you need me to now clean up the whole floor? Blah 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 blah. Like I've definitely right. done that before. Um, and the irony is, I do it to my husband just as much or more, and he doesn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. So um, just seek to inquire when you've calmed down yeah. from whatever has been triggered in you for that. All right, moving to the last wound, it's betrayal. Yes, my your, my your my primary my drug my drug of choice. <laughs> We had a great example of this this morning. Oh yeah, they they it, as someone who is excuse me, as someone who is interacting with someone with a betrayal wound. Give us a summary, Anna. <laughs> Give you a summary. Well, I think you, so my best friend and my husband, both are primary betrayal wounds and my other best friend also. And you guys do not like to be unprepared. Betrayal wound people are adverse to risk. They're adverse to not being prepared. They value loyalty. They value trust. They value safety. So this morning, I sprung on Chris the idea that we were going to record this episode instead of another one we had planned. She was like, wait, what, what, what? What are we going to talk about? Like, I don't know what to talk about. You know, and I'm like, no, no, no. Let me just tell you what what it is. Trust me, you know you're going to have plenty to offer this episode. We just didn't prep for this one as we usually do. And yeah, there was, she felt betrayed by me by springing something on her and not completely informing her. And me as understanding the wounds was like, okay, I get it. She's pissed at me and she's, and I understand I've triggered, I've activated a wound in her, but it doesn't mean she doesn't love me. And I gave you all the synopsis like, Hey, we're going to talk about this today. I think it'll be a good episode. Yep. Yep. And so, uh, betrayal wounds happen to people who are Basically, something has happened to lose their trust in their foundational parts of life a lot of the time. So whether 
someone didn't feed them. I mean, that's kind of goes more into neglect. Someone, um, you know, somebody, their body betrayed them. Um, these are all specific to me, so you can tell I'm saying it through the lens of my womb, but someone's cheated on them. Um, someone has broken their promises, continually broken their promises to them. Uh, all of these different things are the reason that the betrayal wound happens and the mask of betrayal is control and control means I need to know everything that's going on. I need to be able to control the outcomes of things because I am trying to prevent myself from being triggered and I'm trying to prevent things from going terribly wrong because when I didn't control things, things went terribly wrong. So the only way I can fix everything is by controlling everything because then I can avoid pain. And then in doing that, they kind of numb themselves out to life and risk and emotion and vulnerability. Yep. Yep. And it is a very, it's a, it can be isolating with the wrong person. It can, it can be isolating to be with a betrayal person. No, I think that someone has a betrayal wound, they can isolate themselves if they're not with a very, you know, the right person. Oh yeah. Like I know, I know of a couple where they both have betrayal wounds and it's like two strangers living in the house because in order to control their lives and to control their emotions and to protect each other from the pain they can cause each other, they just don't interact. Yeah. So I think betrayal wounds run the risk of very, being very lonely yeah. because they shut others out that could like, they're very preventative in their pain. Like they're, 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 they're trying reverse. to con- their yeah. vulnerability reverse. Yeah. Their vulnerability. Um, they're also usually pretty averse to living at all. Sometimes people are really good at planning crazy adventure, but it, the spontaneity of, of new situations that could be dangerous um, to mind, body, soul, whatever you want to say are the things. And, and one of the, if you're a parent and there's a very, and you have a tendency to want to control your children a lot, then you may be experiencing the betrayal wound and the aversion that your children have to being controlled is the formation of their betrayal. Wound. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's one of those It's hilarious that, how the things that <laughs> you create the thing From the thing. You create the thing from the thing. And so if you're having trouble because your kids aren't able, you're not able to control your kids by yelling at them or punishing them or any of the negative reinforcement, that things that people do for punishment, um, or by trying to give them consequences that they may not even understand, um, which is just common because it's not like we're all child development specialists. Um, then it's very important to, to be able to recognize that, as I say with my daughter in particular, who is exceptionally stubborn and very averse to control, she if I try and control her, it's like two rocks hitting each other in the creek. I need to become the water that goes around the rock in order to be able to get her where I need to go, to be able to pick her up, to take her downstream with me, if that makes sense. Um, it's And that involves... And that involves joining her more often than not, like joining her and saying, how can, not only how can we make this fun, but also saying like, Hey, I'm going to get down on your level and I'm not going to be the person you're against right now. Right. So I think in relationship with someone with a betrayal wound is they might infer microaggressions of, um, distrust, which they experience as um, disappointment Mm -hmm. or distrust. And then that leads to resentment. So how do you live with someone or love someone who's resentful towards you? Forgive them and hope that that forgiveness will inspire them to forgive you too. Yeah. And apologize often, you know. Um, betrayal wounds are the kind of people that they might have a checklist in their head of, of, of all the transgressions you did against them going back 10, 20 years. They, they can remember it to the date 
the things that the things that you said and what you were wearing and what you did and how it hurt them. Yep. And as I, as exhausting as that could be, you know, maybe revisit that sometimes and be like, is there anything I've done to harm you that I haven't yet made right? What can I do to make it right? Yep. Um, they really need to know that they can trust you. And I, I know that as someone who experiences betrayal as dis- just micro disappointment, I just keep working on forgiving that. And I think in turn, the partner can, can like resonate with that forgiveness vibration and they in turn start to forgive you back. So just because you don't, might not be the one carrying the resentment and they are, if you keep forgiving them, it's contagious. And I think that they will pick up on that vibe and they'll start to forgive you. Yeah. And I, I want to revisit what I said in rejection because I think it, it really applies to betrayal is allow people with a betrayal wound to make mistakes and don't admonish them because if you know a real, like if you know a betrayal person who may also, if you know anything about the Enneagram, which we won't touch on, if they're a six in which they're a worst case scenario person, if you question their ability to plan or think of all things, or if something goes wrong that they didn't think of, they are literally in the most vulnerable position that they can be in. And if you, if you, if you give them a hard time for it, even jokingly, you are going to trigger them. It's like, it's, it's just like, and, and the best way to counteract that, you know, is, is to recognize that you need to give them as much information as possible to help them plan all the time. Like it's as annoying as that sounds, uh, a great example, my car kept having issues with, um, a new car kept having issues with the, um, a new used car with the oil light going on whenever you, and my husband didn't tell me about this. He didn't tell me about it. And then all of a sudden I was in the car and it happened and I had to freak out because he hadn't, it had happened before and he hadn't told me about it. So to me, it was the ultimate betrayal of what was happening because he didn't tell me the information I needed to be able to be prepared. And I wouldn't have taken that car. There were so many things that would have happened if I had been given the information. And so you're in a particularly vulnerable position when you give someone a hard time after one of those situations. Yeah. I think also if you're in a relationship with someone with a betrayal wound, do not assume the worst in them because they are big on loyalty and big on trust. So if you're like, you did this to hurt me, they're going to like really get on the defense because they're like, no, absolutely not. Like, how could you ever distrust me? Yeah. So they're big into loyalty, big into trust. And although they have no problem telling like white lies and exaggerating, they are pretty true to their word. Yeah. And they're, they're the overthinkers of the bunch as well. So along with, any, the, yeah, anything that questions their, their process is going to do something for them. Yeah. So that I think wraps up our entire season one. Yes, it Hopefully does. we've ended the primal wounds with something that can be a little more applicable and helpful. And we look forward to seeing you after the break. Yep. We have some great episodes for you next season and enjoy yourself. Catch up on anything. Be sure to share. If you love an episode, please be sure to share with your friends, like, and review. We're giving you lots of calls to action here. If you rate or review us on the podcast app that you're using right now, it creates an algorithm that helps us look more popular and other people will find us. And we believe that we are spreading good information that will help a lot of people interpersonally and personally. So, so give us a like, give us a rating, give us a review so we can spread the word around. Yep. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this season finale episode of This Spiritual Fix. Don't worry, we will be back in two weeks. And in the meantime, we have two special bonuses for you. Each will be released on Tuesday. Please be sure to rate and review and pass this podcast on to your friends. That is how people will find us. Thank you so much for listening. We do this podcast for you. And without you, it wouldn't be what it is. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.